Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, what was the thing that surprised you the most in the ACC this weekend? Oh, man, a couple things. Number one, um, how bad Pittsburgh looked. I mean, that game was over after the coin toss against Oklahoma State. That surprised me. Um, I I thought they'd lose by a lot. I didn't think they would lose that quickly. That surprised me. Um, I think Virginia beating UConn the way they did surprised me. I mean, they came out and dominated that football game. So that was also a surprise to me. How about you? I... I, the reason I asked the question is that I, I don't know how much of anything in the conference surprised me that much. Um, there wasn't like a single shocking result. I'm, I'm kind of laughing here. My dog is in the room with me and causing some mayhem. And it so is we'll see awesome. How that goes. It's good podcasting. I love it. Yeah. So hopefully Calvin behaves through this episode, but unlikely. Um, there wasn't any one thing that really shocked me. Uh, maybe it was probably how just how much Pitt got boat raced in that game. Um, I mean, it, it was like 49 to seven at halftime or something. I mean, it, it just got so out of hand so quickly. I think maybe that's the thing I would go with. Yeah. What did the solid verbal say? They said that basically you were still trying to find the game on your TV guide. And by the time you finally found the game, it was already 21, nothing Oklahoma state. I mean, that's really how quickly it happened. Yeah, it was it was shockingly quick. Um, the whole thing just totally spiraled out of control from the opening kickoff. Uh, we're going to talk more a little more in depth about that game here in a minute. But ultimately, top to bottom, I, I think that was maybe my single biggest takeaway from the ACC this weekend is that there was no real big surprise here. I, you know, maybe the most surprising thing was UNC winning by 30 points um, in a game that we thought might be a little more dicey. Yeah, so. I lost money on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people did, I'm sure. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, fairly a, a, a consistent weekend with what we were expecting. Beginning with the uh, the biggest game of the weekend, Saturday night, under the, uh, the the bright lights, the main event, the number three Clemson Tigers, 47, the number 14 Louisville Cardinals, and Lamar Jackson, 21. Uh, Mike, I, you know, you know me. I'm not a big told-you-so kind of guy. I say that very, very tongue-in-cheek because I, I am – pretty much a tongue a uh, told you so kind of guy but uh this was bad Mike this was real bad for Louisville um there was no point really early in the second half on that they seemed like they were going to be you know they were going to have it together for the full game they were going to really threaten Clemson um really the Tigers just ran away with this one from the start um it, it was kind of close at halftime but you saw a lot of signs that Louisville was not going to be able to play a full 60 minutes with them Lamar Jackson, we need to talk about that uh, a little more in depth. I thought that he got a, a pretty bad rap for how, you know, pretty decently to good he played. Um, 
they were saying a lot on the broadcast about him being inaccurate, making inaccurate throws. And you and I were texting during the first half of that game saying, yeah, Lamar Jackson is whatever, you know, five of 14 right now, but he's missed on nine passes. And I think seven of them hit receivers in the hands, you know, like it wasn't like the ball was out of place or, you know, off time or anything. He just wasn't getting help. And this is what we said was going to happen. It's exactly what did happen was Clemson's defense dominated the Louisville's offense and, uh, and the Tigers' offense really found a lot of holes in the Louisville defense. And uh, the Tigers just ran away with this one, kind of like we thought they would. Yeah, we told you so. Uh, taking Clemson <laughs> minus three was the easiest bet of the year. That was just free money there um, going on the road. Now, to Louisville's credit, they did play well for about a quarter. Um, I, I remember you know, when we were talking during the game the other night, we said, hey, better start than we expected for Louisville. And we actually really meant it. I mean, offensively, they looked fine. They scored early. Um, defense held up okay early in the game. But I'd say for probably like the six or seven minute mark of the second quarter on, it was pretty dominant performance by Clemson. Um, you know, they got that touchdown before half. It was 19 to seven. You really start, started to see it just kind of trending away uh, from the Cardinals there and, and heading in the direction of Clemson. Just momentum swings definitely going the Tigers' way. Um, I thought maybe the deciding play of the game, a uh, huge momentum swing, was Lamar Jackson broke a super long run. It was something like 51 yards and got the Cardinals deep into Tigers territory, I want to say like inside the 20-yard line, and the play got called back for a chop block. And that was huge because two plays later he threw a pick six that really kind of sealed the thing up for Clemson there in the third quarter. And by the way, that chop block was just totally unnecessary and unrelated to the play. Way away from the play. Like, so far removed from the play. Like, Jackson was basically 10 yards upfield when the chop block happened. He was already on the other side of the field. Like, just a complete boneheaded mistake there. Um, and that was that was not good. Um, that really swung things. And then, of course, two plays later, the interception's thrown uh, to Dorian O'Daniel, and he runs it back for a touchdown. And that really sealed the fate of Louisville in this game. Um I agree with you. I do think Lamar Jackson got a bum rap here. Um, 21 to 42, so he completed less than, well, just exactly 50% of his passes. 317, three touchdowns, one pick. The one pick should have never happened um, because they should have been deep in Clemson territory. I mean, I guess who knows what would have happened there, but they should have been deep in Clemson territory. Um, You know, he had 17 carries for 64 yards on the ground. Um, The rest of the team had 10 carries for 52 yards. So that gives you an idea of, you know, the help that he didn't get in the running game. And it was really the Lamar Jackson show. And, Joey, we were texting about this as well, talking about how, you know, Louisville's a 6-6 six and six team without Lamar Jackson. You said, hey, you know, it might be pretty harsh. And I actually said they might be worse than 6-6 six and six the way that game was going, especially in the second half. Um, so, you know, really not a great showing for Louisville. Uh, pretty dominant performance by Clemson. I'm not sure who this tells us more about, Clemson or Louisville. I'd say Clemson, I think. Um, just defensively, every bit as good as we thought. They neutralized Lamar Jackson to a degree, at least well enough that they were able to control things, especially in the second half. And offensively, I was surprised at how settled in Kelly Bryan got. Uh, he was a little shaky in the first half, but he was dominant in the second half. Um, you know, he played really well, finished 22 of 32 with 316 yards and a touchdown. Just had complete control of the offense, I thought from really when the game started trending Clemson's way in the second quarter onward. So really impressed by how well he played and how well he settled in there for Clemson. And, 
you know, it's really just a small drop-off, I'd say, from Deshaun Watson at this point. Um, he's, he seems to have complete control of the offense. There were a couple of plays where you could see his inexperience. Um, I believe he had Deion – it was it was either Deion Kane. Um, it was Deion Kane or maybe Fuller um, running down the seam on one play. He, all he had to do was dump it over the linebacker for an easy touchdown. He didn't see it. He tucked and ran instead. Um, th- that's the kind of stuff that I believe is going to come over time, those types of plays. But he made that throw in the third quarter, Hunter Renfro. It was a huge throw, and you could tell, like, tempo-wise, he really felt like he was in control of the game from then on. After he made that throw to Renfro, he got a ton of confidence there in the third quarter, and he really you know, took that and ran with it for the rest of the game. So I was really impressed by Kelly Bryant, really impressed with Clemson, and that was a just a very solid resume building win there on the road to win the way that they did by 26 points. I, I thought that was really impressive by Clemson and they look like one of the best teams in the country right now, maybe the best team in the country through three weeks. They're definitely the most complete team in the ACC, especially now with DeAndre Francois injured for Florida state. Completely agreed. I, I was very much impressed with how Kel- Kelly Bryant handled the moment, the bright lights, the stage, all that. Um, I'll, I'll add, too, that Clemson had 47 carries for a little over 210 yards, not to mention a late carry they got from Taylor Etienne, Etienne however you pronounce that, uh, an 81-yard touchdown run to punctuate that. So they end up 48 carries for 297 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, and that's on the ground against a Louisville defense that should be better at run defense than they are passing. So uh, this there, there are a lot of people right now in college football, Mike, that I think are pretty scared of Clemson. Um, defensively what they can do and now offensively what they've proven against a, a pretty decent defense in a, in a tough spot. Um, this is a, a very complete team. I, I tweeted out, I think on uh, Sunday that I think we found the ACC's playoff team. Um, I, yeah. I don't know that Florida state's going to have the offense to stay with Clemson here. Uh, I, I think the Tigers might be going back to the promised land this year. We'll, we'll have to find out more about that. Um, I, but like you said, I mean, my, my thoughts on Louisville have not changed. Um, this is, yeah, this is a, a, a mediocre team with an amazing quarterback. and That'll probably win nine games this year. Oh, yeah, he'll drag them to nine or ten wins, you know, and that's, that's great because he's a really great player. But ultimately, I mean, they're not going to be able to compete with these top-to-bottom great teams. The other, last, last note on this, um, a lot of folks picked Louisville in this game because they had the best player on the field. And I, I texted you Saturday afternoon saying – yeah, Louisville's got the best player on the field. Clemson's got about the best next eight, maybe the next eight best players on the field. I mean, Louisville is under-talented in terms of, of across the board when it comes to against you know going against a Clemson or a Florida State or something like that. So um, there, there's some work to be done there in Louisville. Mike, let's move on. Uh, number nine, Oklahoma State 59, Pitt 21. My goodness, this was... This was not a sight for sore eyes if you're a Pitt fan, uh, even a little bit. Yeah, it was a complete boat race. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Mason Rudolph. And Pitt was in a canoe. Uh, yeah, I'd say. I mean, Mason Rudolph threw for 497 yards and five touchdowns through one interception. Four different receivers had over 100 yards receiving in this game. That's balance <laughs> in the receiving core. Um, three touchdowns from McCleskey. Um Washington had five catches, 124 yards. Aitman, four catches, 109. Stoner, five catches, 100. You know, uh, they just exploited very, very bad Pittsburgh secondary. Pittsburgh offensively was almost completely and totally inept when Max Brown was in the game. Seven of 10 for 60 yards. 
just couldn't really get Pittsburgh into any sort of offensive sets that would work against an Oklahoma State defense that I admit is pretty good. But you got to put up more of a fight there. Um, it was such a blowout by the time our boy Ben DiNucci got in the game. Ben Your DiNucci, boy! Ben DiNucci, 13-25, touchdown and two picks in relief. I, I think Ben DiNucci has to be the starter moving forward. I mean, Max Brown was rendered completely useless in this game. He wasn't that impressive in the opening two weeks of the year. And it kind of goes along with the narrative. A lot of people were, that were high on Pittsburgh were saying, oh, you know, Max Brown, you know, former big-time recruit going to USC and transferring into Pitt, and there won't be that big of an offensive drop-off. And then he shows up at Pittsburgh, and he does the same stuff he was doing at USC. He's throwing bad interceptions. He's missing wide-open receivers. His footwork's sloppy. He doesn't have great pocket awareness. Uh, you know, he just hasn't really developed into the player that a lot of people thought he would when he was recruited so highly at USC. So Pittsburgh's got a quarterback issue. Uh, I think they're going to have a lot of issues offensively throughout the rest of the season, and their defense is nothing to write home about. This is a really bad football team right now until further notice. I mean, this is maybe a four- or five-win team if they're lucky, the way I look at it right now. They're even worse than I thought they would be this year, Joey. Yeah, this was uh, this was – just bad from the get-go. It's funny, we talk about Max Brown getting pulled and not being effective. I mean, he was 7 of 10 for 60 yards, didn't throw an interception. There was nothing fundamentally wrong with what Brown was doing, but the offense was just not effective with him in the game. They switched to Ben DiNucci uh, early in the second quarter, really. It was 11 minutes left till halftime. Ben DiNucci comes out first play and completes a 74-yard pass to Quadri Henderson. By the way, name that Quadri. Henderson. Yes, um, and and people were excited about that. I gotta I gotta break it to you though, Mike. That pass was thrown behind the line of scrimmage. That was purely created by Quadri Henderson uh, against a defense that had a thirty-five point lead. Um, so take that for what it is. Even aside from that, though, Ben DiNucci, pretty good day for. I I don't know if the move to him is a permanent thing or if it was. Pat Marduzzi maybe throwing the white flag a little bit, you know, with being down 35 points 20 minutes into the game. Um, they're, they're talking right now that they're being listed as co-starters going into next week's game at Georgia Tech. I I don't know if I really believe that or what any what to make of any of this, but the point is Mike... Gotta be DiNucci. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. He has earned it. Ben DiNucci's the dude. Um, I Look, I, I don't know what's going on in Pitt, but... This is not the team it was last year. Last year's team was a, a good team with a, a really strong offense and kind of a flawed defense that was really just a couple of bounces here and there from winning the division and potentially you know putting a scare into some people in the playoff. This year's Pitt team is a, a bad team, Mike. They, I mean, they lost Matt Canada, Nate Peterman, and James Conner. And apparently the combination of Sean Watson, Max Brown, slash Ben DiNucci, you dude, and uh, Quadri Allison is just not up to snuff. Um, this is Pitt's in a bad spot right now. Now, again, granted, this was we always knew from the beginning that this was a horrible matchup for them. Um, this is an Oklahoma State team that loves to throw the ball around against a secondary that just doesn't really have much of anything going for it. Um, maybe the best thing I can give you is that they've got Jordan Whitehead, who was sitting on the bench this week. He returns next week after his suspension. So maybe it gets better from here, but overall, this was just just abysmal, Mike. This was not encouraging at all. 
Yeah, Joey, so not a great start for the Panthers. Really interested to see where they go from here. Uh, Really interested also to see what happens with Pat Narduzzi's job security moving forward. Jim Hammett told us in the season preview, you'll remember that, you know, Narduzzi really hasn't taken that much of his fair share of the blame to date. Uh, I'm curious to see now with the team with a losing record here through three games and really not looking competitive at all against Oklahoma State. You know, if finally there are some rumblings about, hey, when's this defense finally going to start coming around? I mean, the defense has not been good since Pat Narduzzi got to Pittsburgh. And look, this defense had to be good. I mean, this was a real sticking point of their team prior to Pat Narduzzi getting there. And everybody thought that, you know, this defense would really improve because Narduzzi was such a wizard with what he did at Michigan State. But so far at Pittsburgh, it hasn't worked out that way. So, you know, we'll see how it ends up. Um, it kind of ends up sussing itself out moving forward. But this Pittsburgh defense is in a world of trouble. Offensively, they haven't been that great either. They now have questions at quarterback. The only real answers on this team right now may come from the running game, where Quadri Allison's been pretty good to date. But, you know, if this running game starts to struggle, we're starting to look at a Pittsburgh team that I'm not sure wins four or five games this year. Mike, we got a whole bunch of other games here that were, again, pretty much as we expected. Let's go rapid fire through these real quick. You were at this one, number 16, Virginia Tech 64, East Carolina 17. It was a blowout win. It was never really that close, though, at least in the second half. It got pretty dicey there for a while. Uh, How the Hokies doing this one? Yeah, so Tech looked good, man. It's hard to complain about a game in which you score 57 unanswered points, uh, score 34 third quarter points. I think the one sticking point for the Hokies you know, which we saw last week against Delaware as well, is they're, they're now prone to kind of getting off to slow starts. And not even just Delaware. I mean, they got off to a relatively slow start against West Virginia as well, at least offensively. But, you know, tack that off to first game jitters for a redshirt freshman quarterback who ended up playing quite well in that game and Josh Jackson. But, you know, the Hokies fell down 17-7 in this game. The defense got off to a pretty slow start, gave up something like 215 total yards in the first quarter, which wasn't great. But they only gave up four yards in the second quarter, and that's when the game started to turn. The defense really turned turned things around, made some adjustments, and started tapping into some things on that side of the football. And offensively, they started getting rolling. Um, best game of the year by far for Richard freshman Josh Jackson, a quarterback, 24 of 31 for 372 yards and five touchdown passes, three of which went to Cam Phillips. Cam Phillips set the single-game record for catches, by Virginia Tech Hokie. He had 14 catches for 189 yards and three touchdowns. He was fantastic in this football game. Um, Trayvon McMillan took a 70-yard catch to the house out of the backfield, which was huge. He also had 11 carries for 72 yards. So he's kind of cementing himself as a lead back in the Virginia Tech offense, which I've kind of talked about for weeks as being extremely important for the Hokies. So he's doing a little bit of rushing and receiving. Deshaun McLeese, who's kind of cemented himself as a second-string running back, really emerged in this game as well 11 carries for 55 yards and a really strong performance there so you know all in all it was a good performance by the Hokies you'd like to see them get off to a little bit better start but when you score 57 unanswered points I think you're nitpicking a little bit but you know truth be told they got Clemson in two weeks at home they got ODU this coming weekend I'd like to see the Hokies get off to a little bit faster start against Old Dominion just so that they're ready to get off to a fast start against a team like Clemson which you know, as we've seen, you can't afford to fall behind to, especially early in the football game. You know, they play with too much confidence when they have momentum going their way. So, you know, Hokies need to improve on their starting, on how they start and their starts to their football games. But I think all in all, it was a really impressive performance. But Joey, you said rapid fire and you got rapid fire. Duke 34, Baylor 20. 
Um, Duke covers the fourth. Well, it doesn't even cover. It's an even push on the 14-point spread. But what did you think of Daniel Jones in this game? I thought for once we actually saw him struggle a little bit. I thought this game was interesting, Mike. We saw for the first time bad Daniel Jones. Um, 20 of 35, 184 yards and a pick, 11 carries for minus 14. Not a great day for him. Uh, But I thought the Duke defense showed up really nicely for a a unit against an offense that can really score a lot of points, put up a whole lot of yards. Uh, They got four turnovers, 10 tackles for a loss, and they got nine QB hurries in there. So good look for the Duke defense. Moving quickly, Notre Dame 49, Boston College 20. And I know that you're starting to get very concerned about Notre Dame, maybe in a couple of the ways that I kind of am about Louisville, so to speak. Yeah, I'm definitely concerned about Notre Dame. And it's funny because their defense has been a lot better this year. I mean, they showed up against Temple. Now it's a lesser opponent, but they played well in the opener. They look good against Georgia, which has a decent offense and is probably one of the better teams in the SEC East uh, for what it's worth. Um, and they showed up again against Boston College, but Boston College's offense obviously is nothing to write home about, as we say time and time again. My concerns with Notre Dame are in the passing game. Brandon Wimbush, 11 of 24 for 96 yards and an interception, but that was covered up by the fact that Notre Dame ran for 515 total yards, including 207 yards and four touchdowns from Brandon Wimbush. Josh Adams went for 229 yards in that game against Boston College. And, you know, I'm, I am concerned for Notre Dame because why? while it may not manifest itself against a team like Michigan State that's obviously um, uh, you know not the team they were a couple years ago or Miami of Ohio the following week you know once you get to the middle of October Notre Dame's got games against USC they face off against NC State as well and then Wake Forest and those are three teams that can stop the run and if you can stop the run against Notre Dame then what kind of offense you know do the Irish have I mean you know, we saw against Georgia, they really struggled throwing the football and ended up doing them in in that football game. So Brandon Wimbush has some things to figure out there at the quarterback position as far as throwing the football is concerned. If Notre Dame continues to run the ball this well, it might not matter, but throwing the football is a big issue for Notre Dame. On the flip side for Boston College, I think the positive is that, you know, your offense played pretty well. John Hillman eclipsed the 100-yard mark, and he had a great game against Notre Dame. But defensively, getting gashed the way that you did. You know, Boston College has been one of the best defenses in the entire country over the last few years, and they really got embarrassed in this football game. Notre Dame really broke their will, ran the ball right down their throat, and Boston College was non-competitive in the second half. If you're Steve Adazio and you build your team on defense, that has to be extremely troubling for you when a team rushes for over 500 yards on you in a football game. It comes down to the inability to stop the run, and if Boston College can't stop the run moving forward and the defense becomes an issue with an offensive suspect, you're primed for a step back, and BC has certainly taken one through three weeks this season. I'm interested to see where Boston College goes from here because looking at Steve Adazio and you know what he's done there, he keeps getting them to bowl games miraculously, in my opinion, because that offense has been so bad. But you know, how is Boston College going to you know build on this type of game and Uh, you know, it's obviously a real struggle and can only go up from here. But, you know, what are they going to do moving forward this season to make this a successful year? Because it has not been the start that, you know, a lot of people expected or a lot of people wanted out of that Boston College program. You know, even though the offense has taken some steps forward, it, it appears the defense has taken some steps back. So really interested to see where the Eagles go from here. But, Joey, the Irish win that one against BC. Uh, One of the more impressive showings of the weekend, I thought. Virginia 38, UConn 18. What are some implications or general thoughts on this game? Oh, hell yeah, Mike. First of all, 
Virginia covered. Virginia covered. You didn't think they could. I didn't think they could, but they did. Get you some of that, Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, yeah, this. I, I don't know which which team this game says more about. Ultimately, um, I, you know, it's fine. Virginia played really well at their home field. Kind of gave some reason for hope here. Um, in particular, Kurt Benkert had himself a day, so gotta gotta call him out on that one. Um, but ultimately, yeah, just a, a fine showing from Virginia in this game, and uh, and a, a good win for them that they really needed to start building a little bit of momentum as they work towards their ACC schedule. Uh, moving on, Mike, UNC fifty three, Old Dominion twenty three. Uh, this was a pretty solid game for the Tar Heels. Not a whole lot to say about this one, Joey, but how about those Tar Heels? Chaz Surratt, 16-24, 257 yards and a touchdown in a 53-23 victory for UNC over ODU. Not only did Surratt look good and um, he was able to play almost the entire game, uh, didn't have to leave for injury this time like he did last week against Louisville. So he looked healthy, he looked solid. Jordan Brown on the ground, 17 carries, 125 yards, two touchdowns. Michael Carter, 13 carries, 67 yards, two touchdowns. But more importantly, UNC's defense played very, very well against Old Dominion, uh, forcing three turnovers. And this game ultimately cost me some money as well. I took ODU plus 11, so that didn't work out for me. But, you know, UNC looked really good, 30-point win. Have to be impressed with what you saw after, you know, two pretty disappointing losses to start the season, but a really good win against an inferior opponent. UNC needed that and they look to move forward now with the game against Duke this weekend. But, Joey, rapid fire, moving on. Syracuse 41, Central Michigan 17. Your boy Eric Dungy is back, Joey. He's back. Eric Dungy is back. I don't know about Texas this week. I don't know about Miami this season, whatever. The thing I know is back, Eric Dungy. Uh, he went 19-35 for 279 yards, two touchdowns, a pick, but also had a 11 carries for 105 yards and a touchdown. He looked good in this game. Uh, Syracuse really did not mess around with Central Michigan here. They put them away in the way that we hoped they would. Uh, they kind of kept the uh, the Chips offense in check. And a uh, good home win here for Syracuse as they uh, look to keep the momentum rolling in a, a bit of a super weird spot on the road next week against uh, LSU. We'll talk about that one a little more. For now, though... Mike, you're steaming Deacons, 46, Utah State, 10. Wake Forest is rolling early in the year. Yeah, Joey, a pretty impressive performance by Wake Forest in this game. Wake Forest 46, Utah State 10. John Wolford, 12 of 22, 242 yards, two touchdowns. Pretty balanced attack, not only through the air, but also on the ground where Arkeem Bird had 19 carries for 120 yards and a touchdown. Matt Colburn, 10 carries, 74 yards and a touchdown. And, you know, I, I mentioned Wolford's 242 yards passing, but he also added 53 yards rushing and a touchdown on the ground in the 46-10 to 10 win over Utah State. I said Utah State might be a little bit competitive in this game because they were competitive against Wisconsin. I couldn't have been more wrong, so sorry, Steeman Deacons. Uh, I, I should have given you a little bit more credit, a little bit more love like I used to, uh, but you get a 36-point win. A great start for Wake Forest this year, Joey, now 3-0 and on the year. But moving on, Joey, NC State 49, Furman 16. What did you think about the Wolfpack on Saturday? Yeah, good win for NC State. Um, I mean, not really a whole lot to say about this one. It's, you know, this is what you expect them to do against Furman. And, you know, you win by 33 points, and that's that's fine. Uh, still curious to see where NC State goes from here after a bit of a, a turbulent early season, I think fair to say. Mike, we got a go ACC moment of the week. And this is, uh, this is 
maybe a little more near and dear to your heart as it involved uh, your second favorite team, but maybe all of our first favorite team here uh, had a bit of a bad moment at the uh, the end of the first half, and one that I don't know that you're going to have an easy time getting answers uh, out of Steve, Ado- Steve Adazio for. Oh yeah, this one's a no-brainer for me, Joey. Boston College is driving down the field on Notre Dame at the end of the first half. They get into Notre Dame territory with timeouts remaining, and they decide that at the ND 40-yard line, they're going to take a knee and sit on the ball and go into halftime with the score what it was instead of trying to chip into the Notre Dame lead. Um, yeah, against a rival, a team that you're looking to upset, a team in you know, BC that you have there that really needs a big win. This looked like a non-competitive move, like a, hey, you know, we know we're not the better team. Uh, We're going to not let this deficit get any more out of hand. Even though you were driving on the Irish and had time to score with timeouts, at least get a field goal on the board, super embarrassing look for Steve Adazio in Boston College and really indefensible in my opinion. Yeah, this was was just a really bad look. Um, I, I don't know how you defend this move. I mean... You're playing in a game where you're a big underdog at home uh, against a rival, and you've got the chance to maybe get something going, and you just let that go. I, I like I, I, I don't. If I'm a Boston College fan right now, I'm saying, I mean, what the hell is Steve Adazio doing as my head coach? Like, I, I just can't, I can't defend this decision and this action. So this is. It was a bad look, but hey, go ACC to that. Now, I hope nobody ever does this to us, Joey, but for the Brian Van Gorder You Tried Award, we get to make fun of some predictions here, don't we? Yeah, as we talked about earlier, uh, we told you so. And um, as I was watching College Game Day, and I watched uh, Dez and Rick Patino and Lee Corso, including headgear and all, going with Louisville and feeling real confident about it, I, I just, you know, maybe the crowd got them into it or something, but I, I did not really feel confident in those picks and I mean you guys I mean maybe they they tried and succeeded to get the crowd pumped up I mean you could say that but man you tried to really get a good read on this game and it did not work at all sorry to sorry to say that so hey but you tried Mike that about wraps things up for a pretty quick recap of week three uh quickly you guys can find us on iTunes on SoundCloud on Google Play you can find us on Twitter I'm at FTRS Joey he's at Mike McDaniel ACC and together we're at BC Podcast ACC you can also send us an email with the uh to the longest email address known to man basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com nailed it that was kind of sloppy uh you can also find us on the social medias where Mike yeah, you can find us on Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. We see you guys listening. Appreciate the reviews as well. Uh, continue to do that. It's a big help. Hell yeah. Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference. Please rate and review. Mike, travel schedule's been weird for uh, for me and for you, really. Uh, it's So we've had to do a bit of an abbreviated episode here. But do you want to come back and do a full preview of a what looks to be a badass week four in the ACC? Absolutely, buddy. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Well, until then, thank you guys for listening. And for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Talk to you guys soon. Go ACC. Go ACC.